And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, do um, have them open at Jeremiah chapters 11 to 17, where we're looking at this morning. Um, uh, the verses we're looking at will also come up on the screen, and I'm um, looking at a number of other spots in the Bible as well, um, as we prepare to look at this part of God's Word. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your Word. We thank you that in your Word, in the Bible, we learn about you, we learn about ourselves, and we learn how we ought to live as your people. We learn about your plan of salvation for your world. Help us to be encouraged as we read this morning. Help us to understand what we read, and might you apply your Word to our hearts, Lord, by your Spirit, grow us as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine yourself living in uh, the time when Jesus was giving that sermon that we just read. Imagine hearing the Sermon on the Mount as it was being delivered. Uh, that passage that was just read for us is one of the most counterintuitive, countercultural descriptions of what it means to be blessed. Uh, it's a description of those who are part of the kingdom of God and the incredible blessing it is to be part of God's kingdom. But the characteristics described are not at all what most people would say lead to being blessed. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who seek righteousness, the merciful and the pure in heart, uh, they're not attitudes or behaviours people would normally say lead you to reap great blessings. Uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian, pardon me, Life of Brian gives us their version of the sermon uh, with a small group of people at the back of the crowd arguing over what Jesus is saying because they can't hear properly. Uh, instead of blessed are the peacemakers, they hear blessed are the cheesemakers. And a wife asks her husband, what's so, what's so special about the cheesemakers? And her husband replies, obviously it's not meant to be taken literally, it refers to any manufacturer of dairy products. Uh, his wife nods her head and, and they just keep straining to hear what's been said. Uh, of course, if they'd heard Jesus properly, they would have been even more surprised uh, and it would have created much more debate because well, in the Roman Empire, uh, a time and place where might equals right and the powerful are the ones that seem most blessed, materially at least, well, peacemakers surely wouldn't make the grade. And then when Jesus adds... Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When he adds that to the list, well, they must know that he's either completely mad or he's just describing a kingdom that's entirely different to any human kingdom. To rejoice and be glad when you're insulted, persecuted and maligned because you follow Jesus. Well, here's a kind of blessing that is surely the opposite of worldly blessing. Uh, yet Jesus tells us in those few verses that opposition persecution and hardship, that will be part of the path to real blessing, the heavenly reward that awaits those who belong to God. Uh, this is a blessing that many in the prophet Jeremiah's day would miss out on uh, because they chose a way of life apart from God, rejected the blessings that he offered. And yet it's a blessing that God still holds out to all those who put their trust in him. Centuries before Jeremiah was alive, God laid out for his people a great list of blessings and curses after saving the people of Israel from Egypt uh, and, and bringing them to the, 
lands that he promised to give them, God puts before Israel the agreement, the covenant that would govern their life together as God and his people. Uh, Blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. You'll be uh, cursed if you trust in uh, man, trust in yourself, uh, and blessed if you trust in God. Uh, We'll see that described um, again as we come back to chapter 17 of Jeremiah. And the people are finding that they've earned the curses for disobedience. The security they've relied on for so long is no longer there because they've abandoned the God who saved them. And chapters 7 to 10, uh, last week we saw God remove the pillar of security that was the temple. And here in chapters 11 to 17, we see the same thing happening with the covenant. Uh, See how it's described here in those uh, opening verses of chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 3 to 5. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of of this covenant, the terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. I said, Obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today, I answered. Amen, Lord. God commands Judah again to obey the covenant and reminds them of the curses for disobedience. The the people already possess the land, the land you possess today, God says. They received the land because they're God's chosen people, but they're living like they belong to anyone but God. The covenant isn't something they can just rely on without doing anything. It's like when parents buy their child, say, a brand new car on the condition that they look after it. It might be free, something they couldn't possibly have afforded to buy themselves, but they've got to maintain it or before long they'll lose it. Judah are not keeping their side of the covenant with God. God's given them a land to live in, an identity in the world. He's made them the nation that they are. He's given them the freedom to live uniquely as the special people of the one true creator, God. And here they're going after the trashy false gods the world is offering them, the nations around about. Uh, Chapter 11, verses 9 to 11. Then the Lord said to me, There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. God has come to the end of the line. With Judah, there's nothing left to do but to destroy them. Uh, There's a wonderful image in these chapters. Judah have become like a nasty, crusty pair of underpants to God. Uh, You know the kind of undies you sometimes see on the floor of a public toilet? Uh, some choice individual has left them behind. Uh, they've obviously been there for a while, flat, kind of stuck to the ground, stained with uh, all manner of crusty remains. If you're, if you're a bit unusual, you might think for a second, well, maybe I could wash those and wear them. They might still be good. But don't do it because they're not. They're not good for anything but the bin. It's, it's just that no one's game to pick them up and put them there. Um, 
don't know if you've come across anything like that before. I certainly have. And, well, that's like what Judah has finally become to God. God has Jeremiah act out that very scenario. He tells uh, Jeremiah to buy a new linen belt, an undergarment in chapter 13. Don't wash it, he says. Just put it on, wear it for a while, then go stash it in a crevice in a rock, God says to Jeremiah. And then see what happens. Chapter 13, verses 6 to 11. Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Perath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Perath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honour. But they have not listened. In Hebrew, the word for listen and obey are the same word. Uh, to listen to God means to obey him. To be commanded to listen means to be commanded to obey God. Refusing to listen equals doing evil. Refusing to listen is disobeying and going against God. And this is what Judah are persistently doing. And they can't help it. Chapter 13, verses 22 and 23. And if you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? It is because of your many sins that your skirts have been torn off and your body mistreated. Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, Judah haven't listened, Judah haven't obeyed, and they will be judged by God. Uh, this section uh, of, of Jeremiah, chapters 11 to 17, will finish where it starts, as we'll see, with a description of Judah being punished for their sin. Who they were, they no longer are. Uh, what they had will be taken away because they're no longer listening, no longer obeying or trusting God. Uh, chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. The Lord called you a thriving olive tree with fruit, beautiful in form, but with the roar of a mighty storm, he will set it on fire and its branches will be broken. The Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you because the people of both Israel and Judah have done evil and aroused my anger by burning incense to Baal. Jeremiah is bringing this terrible message of judgment to the people in his lifetime. Uh, the temporary happiness that they find in rejecting their God will come to an end. Uh, chapter 16, verses 8 to 9, have a look. Uh, forward there, see God's command to Jeremiah. And do not enter a house where there is feasting and sit down to eat and drink, for this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Before your eyes and in your days I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in this place. This awful judgment uh, is coming from God and in this kind of society where God is rejected and ignored, someone who is trusting God and bringing his message of judgment 
will be opposed. This is Jeremiah's lot in life to face opposition and persecution for speaking God's words. Uh, We read some specific details of that opposition in chapter 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 18 to 20. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it, for at that time he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name might be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Jeremiah's own countrymen want him dead. And not just strangers, but people from his hometown. Chapter 11, verse 21. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth who are threatening to kill you, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hands. Anathoth is Jeremiah's hometown. His own friends and family, it seems, want him dead for preaching God's message of repentance and judgment. Uh, And again, Jeremiah gives us pointers in his own life to the life of Jesus. Uh, We see hints here, uh, that, that, that language of being led like a lamb to the slaughter. In verse 19, the same words Isaiah uses of the suffering servant, the prophecy about Jesus. Uh, His own hometown rejecting him, he shares that experience with Jesus too. In Luke chapter 4, the crowd in Nazareth want to throw Jesus off a cliff because, well, they just can't believe the words coming from the, the mouth of this one who grew up among them as a boy. As God did in chapter 1, he gives Jeremiah here a promise again that he will not leave Jeremiah alone among his persecutors. Uh, Chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish them. Their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine. Not even a remnant will be left to them because I will bring disaster on the people of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. God doesn't promise to keep Jeremiah from being opposed and persecuted. But he does promise to defend him and be with him. Uh, he will be persecuted uh, to, to the point of ruining the day of his birth, chapter 15, verse 10. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. Uh, Jeremiah will even question God in his anguish. Look at Chapter 15, verses uh, 15 to 18. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my womb grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. As he faces the opposition that will come his way, Jeremiah, well, he trusts God and yet he still questions God in the middle of that that hardship and the persecution. 
At times, it seems he's almost pleading in the place of Judah. Uh, It's hard to tell sometimes when we're hearing Jeremiah and when we're hearing him speak on behalf of the people, but uh, God repeats his promise of protection for his prophet again, uh, like he did in chapter 1. Have a look at verses 19 to 21 there of, of chapter 15. The next few verses, Therefore this is what the Lord says, If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. God is with Jeremiah. He will protect Jeremiah. God is with his people. He doesn't promise an easy life in service of him. Uh, but in the end, we can always know that he is our redeemer and rescuer. Uh, Christians today, we today still experience opposition and persecution. Uh, as Jeremiah did, as, as anyone seeks to share the gospel, to preach God's word, there will be opposition. Now, it's basically part of the job description. It's clear as, uh, as you read through the Beatitudes there in Matthew chapter 5, this This is what life will be like for those who are members of the kingdom. Uh, Have a look at what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 38 and 39. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We lose our lives in order to follow Jesus, take up our cross and join him in his suffering. See how the Apostle Paul describes uh, his experience, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Uh, There is suffering uh, in serving Jesus. But there is also salvation. Uh, The Apostle Peter wrote to encourage suffering Christians. 1 Peter 3 and from verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We can be under no illusions uh, about the Christian life and about uh, the suffering that will likely come to those who trust in God and 
preach his word and share the good news of salvation and judgment for sin. Uh, the blessed life with God will not always feel so blessed. <laughs> Followers of a suffering saviour will also suffer. There will be opposition. But to belong to God in the end, to receive the blessing that he gives, uh, is far and away more worthwhile, far and away outweighs the opposition, the suffering, the persecution that may be involved. God is a God who blesses those who trust in him. Uh, Jeremiah returns in chapter 17 to the blessings and curses of the covenant uh, described in this metaphor of trees planted by the water. Uh, Have a look at chapter 17 there and from verse 5, verses 5 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Uh, Even when the heat and drought comes, and the heat and drought will come, uh, but they have no fear. Those who reject God, on the other hand, those who trust in men, trust in themselves, they will be like the bush in the desert, no life, no fruitfulness. It's a fearful thing to be faced with God's judgment when our hearts are turned away from him. And well, this is what Judah are facing in the days of Jeremiah. When God searches our hearts and rewards us according to our deeds, as he's doing with the people of Judah, well, we have reason to be terrified. <laughs> Chapter 17, verses 9 to 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. The human heart, apart from the love of God, apart from trust in God, is lost. Uh, sin and judgment are the only final result. We, we don't like to hear this, and so we make up alternative explanations. Uh, I was watching an interview during the week with a, an Australian scientist about uh, the so-called world transformation movement. Uh, they say they've found a profound solution to the troubling human condition. Why are we so aggressive and competitive and proud and angry and anxious? Why is there so much strife in the world because of human behaviour and activity? Well, it's it's because humans actually were once a peaceful and loving species. When our brains evolved to the state of self-awareness, the first of the animals to do, they say, uh, well, we couldn't cope with the change in our thinking. We became aggressive and competitive as we tried to sort out who we are and, and how we live in the world and, you know, misguided religious types. Well, they, uh, they came up with explanations, made up concepts like sin and evil as a way of explaining why humans are the way that we are, uh, why we cause so much trouble for ourselves and the world. But really, this 
Aussie scientist was saying, really, the fact is that we have grown in knowledge enough now to grasp the fact that we were once peaceful and harmonious creatures, the, the peaceful society of the bonobo apes south of uh, Congan Africa, their proof that humans evolved from this peaceful state of living. And, and now we, we know that this and we've evolved enough to understand it and so we can, with enough knowledge, we can just go back to that way of living. No need to beat ourselves up for being sinful or doing evil. We just need to be completely educated about who our animal ancestors were and we can become the peaceful, kind, loving creatures we used to be. Again, that was, it was quite hard to listen to that interview, actually, and to listen all the way through. I'm sure uh, you're a bit sick of me describing it already. <laughs> I think it's just amazing, though, the lengths people will go to to deny the fact of sin, to deny the reality of the human condition. They have some aspects of truth in what they say. We did once live in peace with each other and with God. The Bible tells us that. But we destroyed that by our disobedience to God's command. We sinned and everything changed. And if you don't believe in God, well, of course, you'll look for other solutions to the human condition. But the Bible says that's a dead end. God gives us the truth straight about our hearts and it's not good news. It, the human heart is beyond cured, deceitful above all things apart from God. God is the only source of life and there's only one outcome when we abandon him. Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Now God is reminding us again of the sins Judah have committed. See, have a quick look back at uh, chapter 2, verse 13. The, the, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That's the reason for the human condition right there. We've forsaken God, the true source of life. We've tried to do it for ourselves and failed. The solution? We need to turn to God. We need to trust in God. Uh, chapter 17, verses 7 and 8 again. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Again, it's not that life will be easy or that hard times won't come. It's not that it's not going to be a cakewalk now that we're following God, anything but. But it's that we'll be okay despite the hard times because actually we're connected to the one true source of life. Jesus said the same thing to his first disciples. In fact, Jesus promises hardship. Yet even in that hardship, he says, you are blessed. There's immense blessing for those who trust in God, for those who follow Jesus. Uh, the last couple of verses there of uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew, 10 verse, uh, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The blessing of that the great reward in heaven, the hope of life beyond this life, living in paradise for eternity with God, because of Jesus and his death for us, his payment for sin in our place, that, that is the incredible blessing we have as those who trust in God, as those who follow Jesus. And that'll put us at odds with a world who don't want to hear uh, that message. That'll put us at odds with even those closest to us. And it's distressing. And it's painful. And the world would much rather believe that, no, we're all okay, it will all be okay. No one wants to be told they're a sinner and that God's judgment is coming. But it's also ultimately unloving not to share that message, not to share the truth and share the message of hope. Uh, because it's through the judgment of sin, it's through Jesus taking taking our place in his perfect loving self, it's through him taking God's judgment on himself for us that the blessing God offers can be given to those who need it. That's how God's blessing can be received by sinful humanity. What does Peter say? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so we have no fear we have no fear of the judgment for sin uh, that will one day come to the whole world and the world needs to know. But those who turn to God will not face his judgment. Jesus has suffered in their place. And we'll have no fear, fellow Christian, <laughs> of the opposition and persecution that comes to those who share that message because well, the blessing that we look forward to eclipses it all. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12, see how James says it, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's keep uh, trusting in God, let's persevere in hardship, and let's keep uh, enjoying and looking forward to the blessings God promises. Let's... Let's pray. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are your mighty, all-powerful God of the universe. We praise you because you are an all-loving God. We praise you that in your love you have dealt with the great problem of sin. You have provided uh, the solution, forgiveness for sin, for for all who put their trust in you. We praise you that through your son Jesus, his sacrifice on our behalf, his death on the cross, that sin is paid for, the penalty is removed, and that through faith in him we can have life. Help us to trust in you, God. Help us to uh, keep trusting in your son Jesus. Help us to remember the great blessing that you have given uh, especially in times when we do face the opposition and the persecution and the, the hardship that uh, comes with sharing the gospel in the world. Help us to remember your goodness to us, the blessing we've received as your people. 
Help us to keep hoping and, and loving and sharing your good news. Fill us with confidence, Lord, and great hope because of your love for us. We pray all this uh, for your sake and in, in Jesus' name. Amen.